Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Boner Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. You can check them out at Tacticam.com. And if you're fortunate enough to have one of the reveal cell cams by Tacticam, uh, they are doing an update. And uh, they call it the SuperDrive update. If you go to their Facebook page and click on the SuperDrive update uh, it'll give you all the information on how to do that, but if you do that, over the next 14 days, they're giving away 14 reveal cell cams, uh, and then that's leading up to them giving away a bow from Expedition as well, so um, get over to their Facebook page and check it out, and if not, you should probably subscribe to their Facebook page so you can see when those cameras are coming back in stock, uh, because the ones that we have are working very well, excellent battery life, and we really do love them, um, so you can check those out at Tacticam.com as well. Today's podcast, we have Dan Johnson uh, from Sportsman's Nation Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, he took the unlikely trip from Iowa to hunt Michigan, and uh, we talk about that. We talk about uh, his upbringing as a hunter, uh, his hunting style, and how it's evolved. And we talk a little bit about deer management, and um, you know, kind of how the hunter can get involved uh, in that as well. This one was cut a little bit short um, because Dan was. Uh, home alone with the kids. So uh, this one's a little bit shorter than our, our normal podcast. Um, so it just means that we're going to have to do it again. Uh, real fun episode. Uh, we really do enjoy it. And we have been working with Spartan Forge this year. So we've been taking a look. Uh, Bill was on the podcast and he outlines how they're using artificial intelligence to track deer movement. And we are working with them this year, and that is about to launch today. So whenever you are listening to this podcast, that is live at SpartanForge.ai. And basically, it is like the supercharged farmer's almanac based on the weather right now the time of year shows you peak rut moon everything to generate an idea for your area what the deer movement is going to be like if it's in the early season you're looking for normal pattern if you're in the rut you're looking for high activity maybe some abnormal activity as well so you can check that out at spartanforge.ai and you can use code bowhunter if you want to check that out for 25% off spartanforge.ai real quick 
I'm going to have to shout out to our Patreons. Uh, this quarter, um, I got it all set up. I've got it ordered. Uh, we are giving away a Mystery Ranch Sawtooth pack. Uh, so that's the same pack that I used on my Colorado hunt. I really did enjoy the pack. The only thing I didn't like about it is that I wasn't, uh, I, it didn't have the lid. Um, so I wish I had like a little bit more place to put quick, easy access items. Uh, so I did order the lid as well. So we're giving away the Sawtooth 45 Mystery Ranch pack. That does come with the guide light frame, so you can switch out the pack to a larger pack, a smaller pack. Um, you can use it to uh, haul meat. Uh, it's, it's a great system and a super comfortable pack. Um, we're also giving away a set of Badlands Bale rain gear. Um, that was one of the things uh, that people had said that they are reluctant to spend money on, but they really wish that they would pull the trigger on. So we're going to be giving away a set of the Bale rain gear from Badlands. And we're also giving away um, pro subscription to Basemap. So uh, if you haven't checked out Basemap, you can go check it out for free. They have uh, weekly giveaways um, that you don't have to pay for. You go on there. And uh, it, it teaches you to use the app and uh, kind of navigate through that. Uh, if you do decide that you want to buy it, I mean, it's $30, $30 for the year, for the entire country. You can download as big of a map as you want to, or I guess as, long, as much as your phone will allow. And there's multiple layers. I mean, it is a great app. We've been using it uh, 100% this year and uh, really love it. But you can save 20% on that by using code CHRONICLES. So from $30 to $24 for the entire year, it's 2 bucks a month. I mean, it's definitely worth the money. Um, but they're giving away that along with a swag pack, hat, shirt, you know, the whole deal that goes along with that sort of thing. And you can check them out at basemap.com. So if you want to check out any of those giveaways, you can go to patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast patreon is a crowd funding for podcasts so that money goes right back into those giveaways but it also helps for hosting equipment hunts gear reviews all that sort of stuff that is involved in keeping this podcast up and running and we really really do appreciate it but if that's not for you just tell somebody else about the podcast let them know an episode that you've liked Something that you like, say, man, these guys are terrible hunters, but they're fun to listen to. They're relatable. These guys are idiots. I can't believe they have a podcast. Go and listen. Let them know where they can find us. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, anywhere that podcasts are. And however you're listening to this, if you really like us or if you really don't like us, leave us a review because that definitely helps us get in front of more people. So leave us that review. Click that five-star button. Click subscribe, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. Adam and John in studio once more um, with uh, another Chronicle podcaster, uh, Dan Johnson, uh, Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles is on the line tonight uh, with probably the most unlikely of hunting trip stories, um, <laughs> what not to do, <laughs> or decisions, decisions. Um, how you doing tonight, Dan? I'm doing good. You guys? We're doing well. We're doing well. Surviving gun season, <laughs> waiting for it to be yep. done. So. Yep. Yep. We got Iowa uh, Iowa shotgun season in the uh, in the future i got man like the first week of december here and uh i uh i stay home with a family during that time i i used to i used to do the gun hunting but now i'm just strictly bow hunting until i get too old to not do that then i'll probably go back to gun hunting yeah we're kind of in the same same realm yeah it's just and we'll get into it just because of the you know the culture in in michigan but right. my goodness so um you know, you'd said that you're you're from Iowa, but let's get a little bit of background on you, Dan, for guys that aren't familiar or whatever. Just uh, you know, your your hunting background, like so, what is your hunting style, and like how did you grow up and and, and start to get into into hunting? Yeah, so and believe it or not, my my outdoor background kind of started 
with one of my uncles. Uh, he used to take me to run trap lines. He took me to uh, he took me to to do some pheasant hunting. And the first animal I ever killed with a gun, believe it or not, well, I should say, other than a rabbit, uh, my first time ever killing an animal was uh, a pheasant hunt that my uncle took me on. And uh, for the, you know, I was the kid who, if there was a muskrat or a mink still alive in the trap or a raccoon or a possum, I I held the beaten stick. <laughs> so I was the... I was the kid that, oh, he's still alive, go get him, boom, boom, knock him out. And uh, that that was my introduction into the outdoors. And then several years after that, um, I would say probably nine, ten years after that is when I picked up a, a bow for the first time. Okay. And then so your bow hunting, um, you know, it, has it been – you know, pretty much, I mean, you're born and raised in Iowa. That's where where you cut your teeth then? Yep. I, uh, if my memory serves me correct, we got my first bow at a garage sale. And when I said I wanted to, you know, shoot a bow, I, I had my mom get me this bow. And then at the same garage sale, there was an air, like all these arrows. None of them were the same. And I didn't know anything about how to set your bow up, neither did she. And I'm sure the, the bow was too big or too small, so we went to a shop. He turned it all the way down. I was able to draw it back, and we got a bale of hay from my grandpa, and we set it in the backyards. And at, at 10 yards out of the seven arrows, I may have hit it four times, and I was like, I'm dialed in, baby. Let's go <laughs> hunting. <laughs> so, uh, so really, everything after that, you know, I had I had some some people guide me along the way, but for the most part, everything on my end is self-taught. You know, I come I come from a family of I'm going to say outdoorsmen, right? My uncles they they hunt, they fish, they trap, but I was you know an hour and a half, two hours south of where they lived growing up. So anything that that had to do with the outdoors was my mom or my dad. Most of it was just like, you know, hey, let's go fishing. So when I started having interest at a younger age in bow hunting, it was all stuff that I kind of taught myself. Okay. And at that time, like, what was the the hunting culture, I guess? You know, right now everything is mobile hunting, uh, run and gun, you know, and, uh, you know, we talked on our last podcast, uh, you know, with the, these guys like, um, you know, my father-in-law, you know, with the Baker climbers, you know, you're building them yourself, you're going out and doing that, you know, so the people have been mobile forever. Um, you know, how yeah. did you start out, uh, hunting as far as like the style? <laughs> yeah. My style back in the early days was a five gallon bucket that I'd have my bow in one hand and I'd have the five gallon bucket in the other. And in the five gallon bucket was a rattling bag and a grunt call and maybe an extra jacket for, for the night. And I would get out of the car. My mom would, I can remember one of the first times I ever went hunting. Like we did, we didn't know anything about, Hey, you got to knock on permission. You got to knock on a door to get permission. There's, there's hardly any public land where I live in, you know, in that county or where I lived back in the day in that county. So my mom would just drop me off on a gravel road. I'd hop a fence and walk into a timber line and just <laughs> sit there. Right. Never, never ask permission, never nothing. And, you know, I was so young. I could, I can remember looking back one time and seeing the reflection off of the windshield of my mom's vehicle as she just sat there and kind of waited for me to come back. And, uh, so on the early days, I was I was mobile, <laughs> like I was really mobile. If you if you catch my drift, and, and uh, sitting on buckets and moving to where I saw the deer print, and you know, I didn't know anything about rubs or scrapes back then, and and uh, so it was a bucket. And then I would say fast forward a handful of years, um, it was your typical field edge ladder stand, and you know you'd see the deer, but they were never close, and uh, so you know. I would say high school or 
into high school and middle school, uh, it was, you know, it was just not understanding anything about deer, but going outside and being outside and sitting on that bucket and uh, climbing that tree or climbing up into a, an old rickety ladder stand. That's where, that's where it kind of all started. And so what's the efficacy of the bucket method? <laughs> the bucket, <laughs> there's no method, man. There was never a method. It was, hey, deer live outside. I need to be outside. Well, I can't draw my bow if I'm sitting on my butt, so I need a, something to sit on. Well, there's the bucket. So that was the uh, that was my first mobile setup. But I'm just wondering, like, how uh, successful were you? And now that you, you know, you oh, explained it. Zero percent. Okay. So, because I'm just picturing you carrying this bucket, shooting a deer on somebody else's land. And, like, we all know what it's like, you know, tracking a deer, getting a deer out. So, I was just trying to, yeah. to, to kind of to figure yep. that out. Yep. There was, there was a zero percent success rate back then. <laughs> so, how did you keep motivated to keep doing that? Were you seeing deer? Well, well, I mean, yeah, I was seeing deer, and um, I even had a couple really close encounters. It was just something that back back then, it was just about getting outside. And if I kind of envy that that part of me, you know, if I could go back, I kind of envy it because back then there was no there was no antlers. Antlers didn't mean shit. There was nothing. I mean, you just you go out and you hunt, and you you know. I remember one night I climbed in a tree. This was the first time I ever drew back my bow. And it was late October and this this spike buck was bumping a doe and he was, you know, she wasn't ready yet, but he was. And I was sitting in the crotch of a tree and I drew back my bow and I let the arrow go and it sliced his just just the white hair off of his stomach. And I didn't kill him. I didn't even draw blood, but I thought I was the shit because <laughs> I, I let an arrow go on a deer. And I remember collecting that hair in a Ziploc bag. I would put it in my pocket and then put it in a Ziploc bag and keeping it in my room. And I was, so I could tell people about it because none of my friends hunted and, uh, you know, everybody else did the, the sports thing. And eventually hunting took a backseat to, to sports and college and all that stuff. But I just, I don't know, it was, there was something different back then than it is today. Like, I'm a completely different person. You know, I started to learn strategy. I started to learn what deer do, how they behave, and all that stuff. And, and back then, it was just about getting outside and, and trying to shoot anything. So, you know, um, we're kind of like in a weird place right now because we, you know, could be uh part of the problem i guess but you know at that time with no social media no youtube you know you had your magazines and monster buck yep. vhs or whatever um it what do you think about like today's youth and the amount of uh information expectation uh all of that because i mean i can tell from the way that you're speaking on it like that's you know some of the most treasured memories are the hunts because that's when it was fun and a challenge and you were up against yourself versus, you know, what the world says yeah. you should be shooting. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you this, the amount of, I wish I had YouTube back then. I wish I had social media back then because, you know, it would, it would have allowed me to cut my learning curve as far as strategy and understanding of the animal in half, but I still feel that young hunters, new hunters need to come up through the ranks. And this is a problem that I had later on in my life when I, when I got back into it really seriously, in order to become a good deer hunter, you got to kill deer. And I feel like a lot of kids today or even uh, new hunters like young adults or any, any, anybody really getting into hunting sees the social media, they see the YouTube, they see people starting to pass deer, and they feel that that is what they need to do. Because a lot of the time, this media that's being put out there isn't really 
going into any details about why they're passing these deer, why they're letting them go. And so people see that, and there's no context behind the imagery. And so any, any new hunter really will see that, and they'll go, well, man, I guess I, should, I guess I should pass this doe or I should pass this spike. When in all reality, they should be slaying the first deer that walks by them for like two straight years, three straight years, until they feel comfortable around it. And now they can say, okay, so I shot a spike. What do I want to do? What, what kind of hunter am I? Am I the kind of hunter that goes after age class? Do I want to mount deer? Do I want to fill my freezer? Do I just want to go out and have fun? Like all these things matter when it comes to kind of defining what kind of hunter you are. And I feel you can do multiple of those things, but I also, like one thing that really pisses me off is when I see like a 12 year old holding the 170 and I'm just like, are you kidding me, dude? I've never even shot a 170 before. And this kid now has, I mean, he's a kid, right? So a 160 is lower for him. He's going to look at that and he's going, hmm, well, you know, he's a, he's only a 160, only a 160. Right. right so exactly. once we start, once we start putting a number on something that, and then people judge that experience by that number, in my opinion, it devalues the experience side of things because people say, well, he's only this, or he's only that, or he's only, the, you know, whatever. And so that just, that's almost like, Hey, I shot a deer, but I'm going to kick him while he's down because, you know, you took this animal's life, but you're going to, you're going to cheapen it. The experience by saying, well, he was only 160 or he was only three or whatever, right? It should never be like that. Yeah. And we can get into that here in a minute when we get into, uh, your, your trip to Michigan, but I want to, uh, I want to just kind of move forward in your, your, uh, timeline here and say like so now today what what style of hunter are you you know are you are you choosing deer based on age class are you saying i'm hunting buck beds am i are, you know are you um, you know you got all your deer named and running all the trail cameras and everything or like how do you make that decision on you know which life you're going to take you know yeah that's a good question because i think there there's times where it kind of changes every year and a lot of it has to do with time right I got three kids I got a business to run uh, I the the more time that I have in the timber the more time I'm I'm given the opportunity to do some of those things like run trail cameras uh, you know set up more tree stands uh, name deer whatever and um, and these days I'm so busy where now it's just I, I throw my trail cameras up in the summertime. I get a good inventory, and then I switch those. You know, I switch those cameras around closer to the hunting season, and and that kind of determines what deer are on the property and what I I can shoot. If if there's no 170s on the property, it'd be pointless for me to go after a 170, right? So I typically either have past experience with homebody deer on the property. Or I, you know, I, I kind of set my standards. I say, here's the pool of deer in, uh, you know, in this area. I want to shoot a top tier deer in that in that pool, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And so, what are those deer? I mean, so what are you setting your sights on? You know, as far as uh, age class or size or yeah, yeah. So I definitely, you know, I would I definitely would like the deer to be four years old. Um, if not older and, uh, you know, you know, just, just saying that and saying, you know, like, I don't necessarily like to put a number on anything. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say my deer this year would score somewhere in the low one fifties. It's not necessarily that I'm going after a buck that's four year old in the one fifties. I'm going after a good representation of the highest age class and the highest, you know, in, in that pool on that farm. So if that's a, if that big mature buck is a, a 148 pointer or a 140.10 and he's one of the biggest ones on the farm, well, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take, try to take that buck if he walks by. But 
I'm not necessarily making any particular strategic moves for a, a, a second-rate deer. I'm not going to say second-rate. Me, every, the way I talk about Iowa, I have to almost preface it because nobody else in the nation, especially East Coast, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, nobody, everybody else hears me talk about a four-year-old or a 150-class buck, and they're saying, Jesus, what is he talking about? It's unrelatable to me when I'm lucky to be born in the state that I was born in and live in the state that I live in. And I have the, I have the ability to hunt those animals. So, you know, I, I would say, a, you know, a, a four-year-old for sure next year, it may go higher because now I've put another notch in my belt on this, this age class. And who knows what next year's bring. Maybe I'll try to get something bigger and older or go after a specific buck. But, um, yeah, just kind of whatever's in front of me at the moment. And most of the time, whatever happens is whatever gets me excited, right? If I see a good deer coming my way and he's all brussled up, or he's chasing a doe or he's, he's snort weaves or he, he did this and then he did this and then he did that. And, oh man, that's a kick-ass story. I'm going to shoot this deer. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to paint a picture here because yeah. you're right. You know, there. When I mean, hell, I was listening to um, Whitetail Experience podcast today, and they was talking about you know this deer's probably one twenties, one maybe one twenty five. You know, not really what we're going after. Um, and I'm just thinking, man, you know, that's not you know our listener base is exactly what you stated. You know, uh, Michigan, PA, a lot of East Coast. Um, yeah. And I think it's because it, it, we are relatable because we just shoot whatever you know, kind of strolls by and we we have a very, or we shoot at them. Yes, this is true too. Um, (laughs) But um, like I said, I just wanted to kind of get that there because, you know, when you take these out of state trips, I want to kind of transition the thought process to that. But real quick, like, so when you're saying that you'd like to target, you know, in a, in a perfect world, four and a half year old deer above or whatever, uh, how many of yeah. those are on these properties, you know? So, yeah. And again, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the best state to pro- probably in the entire country to hunt whitetails in, right? Mm-hmm. Not only do we have that age class, but we got a good amount of them. So, um, and it's not like they're behind every tree. You got to work for them just like you got to work for really any deer. But I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, and this is going to sound ridiculous. But I think it was like two years ago, I had a really good crop of deer a summer on one of the properties that I hunt. So I had on, on a collective 1,100 acres that I have access to. Now, when you, when you think of 1,100 acres, don't think of it like you, I can hunt every acre. You know, We're talking about 600 acres of that is probably ag, right? But collectively... I probably had seven or eight deer, four-year-old or older on that property, on that collective area, which was pretty good, and which is pretty good. So I would say somewhere around that, maybe a little bit lower. This year on camera, I would say the buck I shot, I'm going to guess I'm going to put him at four. The, uh, the, my main buck that I was chasing this year, was five and then there was another one out there that was probably five five or six and then maybe a couple more a couple more uh maybe two more four-year-olds and then the rest were three and younger that i had encounters with okay yeah like i said i'm just trying to you know put things in perspective for the listeners to say like well you know for for me to try and target a four-year-old deer i mean i might have to scour counties you know where we live here (laughs) you know um so like I say, it's just all everything is relative. We might have to go exactly. sneak on some uh, actual a deer farm and, and bring our bucket. Right, right. <laughs> One of these no knock deals. Heard it from the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles. Um, yeah, this guy's giving uh, really shitty advice. <laughs> well, it, the the thought process is is correct. Is is you know harvest rate was low so it's kind of a trade-off right but so now how does that affect 
when you go out of state? Because I know, you know, obviously I want to talk about you hunting Michigan, but you go, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you've hunted other states for whitetail, yeah. and then you go to South Dakota hunting mule deer. Um, so when you're going out of state, like, how do you temper that thought process leaving, you know, whitetail Mecca? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And what I told myself is, is this, you are, you got to treat that, those out of state hunts like you are a brand new hunter. And I say that by, by saying, also saying this, when I went to Michigan, I knew that I'm not going to, you know, not, not only the time of year that I went, but also the fact that I'm going to one of the most highly pressured states, quote unquote, uh, you know, next to probably Pennsylvania and New York, uh, Michigan, high pressure, everything that I've ever heard about it, right? There's no, you know, was I, was I planning on running into a four-year-old? No. Did I hunt like I was chasing a four-year-old? Yes. So I went in with some of the same strategies that I use in Iowa, looking for those terrain features, looking for all that. But knowing that if a, you know, a hundred inch two year old walked in front of me, I was probably going to take the shot. And, and so, I mean, how do you prepare for that mentally? I mean, cause for us in, in Michigan here, like when we go to Ohio or Missouri or, you know, when we were in Idaho, uh, John was in Montana, you know, we were looking for a deer that we couldn't shoot in Michigan. You know, we were yeah. looking for, or a deer that we would, you know, love to shoot in Michigan. Whereas yeah. coming from Iowa, that's gotta be, you know, you, yeah. you, you, you're preconditioned, I would imagine to see that hundred inch buck and not pick up your bow. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But this was an, this was a new experience for me. So if we can take the focus off the age and we can take the focus off the antler size, we're still deer hunting. Right. So that is what I decided I wanted to do. I, I was going to, I was going to deer hunt. I was going deer hunting. So I just, I didn't care. I took it all away and I just, you know, went deer hunting. So let's talk about that experience coming into Michigan as far as, you know, you, you had got some information, uh, coming into the state. What, um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. And, um, uh, along with that, like the stereotypes that you heard before you, you got here, I mean, so I would say it like this, like, so when we were hunting Northern Missouri, you know, 10 miles from Iowa, our excitement level, our, you know, everything we heard was, you know, super positive. You know, we're just across the river from Iowa. Like this is where the big bucks are, uh, all that stuff. So we were going there with this great anticipation, right? Right. Uh, so what was your thought process and what did you have like going into as far as, uh, stereotypes about Michigan and, and things of that nature? Yeah. So my stereotype was every parking lot had 10 cars in it. The, the cars were parked all over the side of the road. You know, I was going to run into hunters every single step in, you know, into the timber. And luckily that wasn't true. I'll be honest in my, however many days there, I ran into one guy in a parking lot and that was it. And I mean, yes, I was hunting in the middle of the week. Yes. I was hunting in, you know, that mid October timeframe, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't run into anybody. And I was kind of in shock a couple times because I went in preparing myself for, Oh, there's a guy got to move. There's a guy got to move. So when I was doing my e-scouting, I was looking at all these terrain features and I was walking into the timber going, okay, I want to get to choice one first. Okay. And then if someone's there, I'm going to get to choice two and then I'm going to get to choice three. And then I'm uh, going to do, you know, all you know, this planning in my head, and I just didn't have to do it. So that was kind of a relief. Do you think that that changed the way that you e-scouted? Do you think that you maybe disregarded some 
pieces thinking that there would be guys set up there already, so you were going to have to go a little bit further, do Not a little really. bit more? No? I mean, I was prepared to go, you know, like, I was prepared to go as far back and do whatever I needed to do to get the job done. Now, the cool thing about this is what I had some pretty cool intel going into the going into the uh, the hunt, right? I had a guy who this dude hunts all the time. He had some really good intel for me. Um, he was telling me he was telling me things like, uh, you know, he he came into the parking area late one day and he couldn't make it back as far as he could. And he saw some he saw a you know a bachelor group come right by the parking uh, the parking area. So here he is, like he's like, dude, you don't have to go five miles back. Just, you know, it's almost like he, he was hunting the people, right? He was wanting to see where they were at. Then he's making a move off of where they were set. So I had those kind of thoughts going into my head, you know, for the uh, for that upcoming hunt. Okay. And what about, like, the, the terrain and the areas that you were hunting? Um, I guess... River bottom, mostly. Um, I, there was a there was one swamp, little swamp area, but majority of the hunt I was hunting a river bottom ground. Um, that you know, uh, a river was running through it, and then the public land was all over the, the was all over the place. So uh, it was just a drop off into the river bottom, look for some good sign or some ter- terrain features that led led up to some you know, some private ground standing crops and try to get into that staging area or get into that, you know, real close into that transition area or even close to the bedding areas. And, you know, great access, make sure my thermals were doing what they were supposed to do. And uh, it was basically shooting from the hip every time I went into the timber. And then what did you encounter as far as deer? I mean, rumor has it that you did hit like a 120 class buck that you were unable to recover. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a smart ass comment and I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I uh uh my I was let's see what was my broadhead that day. It was oh, a 2005 Nissan. <laughs> and uh I smoked him, but I couldn't recover him. Uh, it was uh I was I was driving on my way to one of those public pieces, and out of this cemetery, a 120-inch buck pops up, and just I smoke him, and uh, it was dark at the time, so I drove on, and I came back, and uh, after the hunt to look for the deer, to you know see if I ended up killing him, and I never could find him. So, <laughs> not enough uh, FOC. <laughs> no, not enough. I don't. I think my I think my blades weren't sharp enough. <laughs> so what did you see for deer uh while you were hunting yeah so other than jumping a couple does uh, like walking in to some of the places from the tree stands i think i only saw four deer and uh only one buck so it was uh it was tough man it wasn't you know it was something but again I mentally prepared myself for the worst conditions. Like, you're driving, driving seven hours to not see a deer. And what I liked about these encounters that I, I had, though, was I put myself in the right spot to shoot to shoot a deer, and uh, I just I didn't shoot what was in front of me. So that was going to be my question. So, with your e scout and everything, how did that you know pan out? You know, once you got boots on the ground and. Was there a sign there where you thought it was going to be, and did it look, you know, like it should? Yeah, I'll tell you this. I, I was surprised, right? The way people talk about Michigan being so, you know, such a shitty state to hunt, I was, I was surprised by your guys' cover. I mean, it, I hunted some places where it was thick and nasty and almost impenetrable uh, in a certain, some certain spots, and uh, I got in there, and I'm just like, what are these guys talking about? This is beautiful. And, and, uh, so, I mean, I just was hunting a lot of edge, a lot of transitions, uh, into the, you know, from thick cover, uh, opening up into a terrain feature that led up into an egg field most of the time. Now, like that, um, impenetrable cover, et cetera, like where you were headed out to, 
Um, were you setting up in areas just to like see deer? So uh, not in a sense of like on a, a field edge or anything like that, but like areas where deer would be traveling or were you setting up for, you know, like you said, you were setting up to try to kill a four-year-old. So would these be sits where like if you were in Iowa or other states, um, you know, a lot of sits you set up for, you know, a particular buck or if there was a buck in the area is going to be right there and your odds of seeing deer are slim or were you setting yeah. up and in, in uh, on these terrain features just for deer movement? Yeah. So, you know, once when I started getting serious into bow hunting all those years ago, one thing I learned is seeing deer and killing deer are two completely different things. Right. So that's why you hear every once in a while, you hear me say something like, I don't hunt field edges anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, because you can't, you can see deer on a field edge, but you may not be able to shoot them. Right. So I've learned that I have a higher success rate with encounters. I'm going to see less deer, but I'm going to have more encounters with deer potentially in shooting range. If I go inside the timber and find these terrain features and find the thick cover. So whenever I go into a hunt, specifically Michigan, I was going to kill something like that was my goal. I'm going in to kill. I'm not going into, there was no time for an observation sense. So I'm going in, finding what looks good, finding those terrain features, playing that wind, and then putting myself in a position that if a deer comes through this way, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot it. And so you, you said, you know, you're, you're, you're managing your time. Um, you know, you said you've got kids and, you know, wife and the family and the business and everything. Um, I guess what is the reaction from like your wife or your buddies or people around you when you say that you're going to take X amount of days off and leave Iowa to go hunt Michigan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got made fun of, um, for sure. Uh, but like, you know, the, the wife was like, why are you, why are you wasting your time going to Michigan? You know, she, Every year she understands a little bit more and a little bit more. You know, I had to tell her, you know, listen, I'm going here for an experience. I'm going here to, you know, to say, hey, I've hunted Michigan before, you know. And although I haven't put in as much time to Michigan as a lot of people have, I just, I wanted to go and experience it. And I could have went to South Dakota again, or I could have went to, you know, Missouri or Illinois or Kansas or something like that. But, you know, it was just through these random string of events, it was time for me to go to Michigan. And, and, uh, I got some grief from some people and, uh, I just, I guess I said, Hey, I'm going to go do it. So (laughs) now when you are like coming to a state like Michigan and you come here and you see what you've seen with deer, you have, um, you know, heard all the talk about how bad it is and everything like that. Um, I guess, what do you think, or do you even think or comment or anything like that on the way that Michigan is managing their deer herd? That's a big sore spot for us here on the podcast. And I know that there's a big, you know, collective of hunters in Michigan that just absolutely are, mind blown by how they can uh, our dnr can call this management right yeah right well i mean i think just in every relationship let's just let's just say the hunting community and the dnr is a relationship right every relationship is a two-way street you know the hell you can be mad at you can be mad at somebody and uh, blame the problem on the dnr but if you're that guy who is mad at the DNR, but shoots two spike bucks in a year, well, you have no ground to stand on, right? So I think, you know, I talked to one of my buddies up there on on one of the Nine Finger podcasts, and he's like, it's a culture change. If you want Michigan to be like Iowa, there's a whole bunch of things that have to change. And why is Iowa so good? Well, there's, you know, 250,000 less hunters in Iowa, maybe even more. And there are, 
you know, so you guys have a huge population. You have way more hunters. Hunting is a bigger tradition in, in Michigan than it is in Iowa. And, like, I don't feel like people are comparing apples to apples. Now, at the same time, I, I feel like there's some other, you know, some other things in play here, like, you know, like, why do you need to change it? Like, why can't you just go out and, and be happy with what you have? I mean, ha- be happy with, you know, the ability to shoot these deer and to shoot, right? So is it the fact that people want big bucks or is it the fact that, because I'll tell you right now, I, I've talked to so many people throughout the years in this podcast. There are probably equal amount of people who are mad at the DNR because they've never shot or seen a big buck that are mad that if you, let's just say, impose antler restrictions in certain areas, that there's a group of people that will say, well, man, I had a, I had one opportunity to shoot uh, a deer this year, and a buck, a small buck walked by, and I, if I shot it, it would be illegal. You know what I mean? So... It's, a, it's, it's just a conversation that has to be had and people get so defensive that it's like my way is right, your way is wrong. Well, my way is right and your way is wrong and no one wants to talk about it. So it's, it's tough, man. So Dan Johnson, Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Sportsman's Nation, what would be your way? What would be your uh, suggestion or what would be the way that you would start that conversation? Man, I don't know. You got to have town hall meetings. You got to, <laughs> you got to talk, you got to talk to landowners. You got to talk to all hunters. You got to get everybody on the same page. You got to, you got to get statistics from the DNR. You, you know, people, one thing that we have really good working here in Iowa, and I think you guys have it as well, is your deer reporting system. Right, so you, you got to know the statistics in order to make some kind of law change. You got to know do antler point restrictions. What does that help? Right? Does it help? I don't know. What what does it help? You know, does it just mean big bucks? You know, bigger bucks are gonna are gonna come through the area. I mean, there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of com- conversations that need to have. One thing that I really liked, I don't think Wisconsin does it anymore, but there was a Earn a buck program where if you wanted to shoot a buck, you had to shoot a doe. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I like that. And I have, I would have no problem with that if I uh, would say Iowa went to something like that. But you know, every state is run by different people and different ideas. And I think the more that the hunters get involved, the better. But I think, I think somewhat we're in an, an echo chamber. Um, you know, yeah. we surround ourselves with people who, you know, want to shoot bigger deer or whatever, and actually are going out and doing everything that they can to do that. And, you know, we've got just as much respect for the guy that gets the one or two days or the opening weekend off to hunt and, you know, just wants to get his buck as well, because that's, that's part of the tradition and the, you know, the, the culture here in, in Michigan too. Right. But the hard part is, is that there are, you know, when you say that you need to get the hunter involved, you know, we're also talking about the guy that gets his rifle out the day before the season and gets his bow out, you know, the day before the season. And yep. you guys that are, you know, not exactly having these conversations or that right. even care, you know, I mean, we've, yeah. we're, we've, we've banned baiting and, you know, the entire lower peninsula and yet the gas stations still have bait bait, bait that you can buy, you know? So yep. that culture, yep. you know, the law doesn't really matter at that point to, you know, to some. Yeah. Well, at the same time, I, what, what is the penalty for baiting in Michigan? I think it's just a fine. I think it's like 250 bucks or something like that. At first, so yeah. I heard it was like, I heard it was way less than that. Right. So I, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But it's crazy because, I mean, so you, you, you're breaking a tradition, right? You're breaking a way someone used to do something. And let's just say a, a, a law was passed that bow hunters had to stop doing a different thing, right? Because at one point, 
I think in Iowa years ago, tree stand hunting was illegal. It was illegal to hunt from a tree stand. So now they, you know, what would happen if there was a, a crazy law that was now passed like that? Well, you got to adapt and you got to overcome. And as much as that guy who pulls his gun out may not be prepared for the season, he may not, he may know less about deer. The dude buys his hunting license just like you do. He has access to deer just like you do for the most part. And it, it sucks, but he, he's entitled to go out and hunt any way he wants to hunt and give any advice that he wants to give within the law, current law. So it, it's tough. It, like I said, it's just a two-way street, man. Oh, yeah. And like I say, we've we've had this and it like kind of like beat this horse to death. Um, all. But, but one of the problems is, is our reporting system is is lacking like compared to the ohio like when we would go to ohio you know obviously there's always going to be people that don't follow the rules but for like us and all the guys that we know that have been down there you shoot your deer you call it in you report like the county what weapon like if it was like a compound bow a crossbow you know and then you know the time everything and so everyone does that that's a great database. Michigan, I've been hunting. I'm 46 years old. I've been hunting since I'm, I was 12. I've never, ever been pulled on, you know, got a questionnaire. The only thing I've ever got questionnaires about was like the fall turkey seasons. That's it. Never been asked about my deer seasons. So it's like how. Have you ever reached, have you ever reached out to your local DNR, your local state officials, and voiced your opinion there? No, I have not. So, you know. Okay. Where I'm on the other end of it, like what you're saying, like if you do, yeah. if you do what you've always done, then you're always going to, you know, be in that same boat. But it's we have talked to guys, uh, like when we're at ATA, was it two years ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking to the guy about all the, you know, the reporting system, and he's like, you know, I can't remember his name. His name was Tony Smith, but, but he was saying like how the reporting is so great in Michigan, and that. You know, the way that they do it because they send out these things and then, you know, at the deer check stations, well, you're not required to take it to a check station. So, I mean, the the data is like going to be similar year over year because the same people that go to the check station the year before are probably going to go the next year. But if you've never gone like John, you probably won't go, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's mandatory in Iowa to report your deer. Right. Like I said, I was just interested to see because, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but uh, a lot of the thought process is is, is that, you know, Wisconsin has big deer, Indiana has big deer, Ohio has big deer, and it's like we're surrounded by big deer, and Michigan is the laughing stock of the Midwest (laughs) as far as whitetail goes. So, and... You're right. You know, we're we're not doing anything to, except for just sitting here bitching about it. And so it's yeah. like, you know, the, those conversations need to be need to be had. Um, yeah. You know, to to start that in motion, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So you have still got those Michigan tags burning a hole in your pocket. Thanksgiving weekend's coming up. Are you headed up here to? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, they, they burned up. That's a fact. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Here's a funny story. So the last hunt of the trip, I'm coming out of the timber, and I'm digging through my stuff, putting it back in my truck. I'm like, where did my hoodie go? Where's my, my hoodie? So on a piece of public land somewhere in Michigan, I'm not going to say where, because the guy who gives me the info beat my ass, is a – Sitka Apex hoodie with Dan Johnson's license, Michigan license and tags in it. So <laughs> if you find a hoodie, look in the front pocket because it's uh, it's mine. So um, in in Michigan here, right before the rifle opener, um, which was uh, November fifteenth, 
our tag system went down and they were allowing you to just write your own tag on a sheet of paper or print it off if you would like. So, I mean, you're, you're off the hook on that one. If you'd like to come back, (laughs) (laughs) but so I guess overall, um, your experience in Michigan was what you expected better than you expected. Um, I, I guess, what did you think as a whole? I had fun, man. I, uh, I had a blast getting back to the, you know, not knowing what's out there. Anything could happen, you know, for the most part in Iowa, you know, I run the trail cameras and stuff. You kind of got a good idea of what's going to show up, but out there, you know, I went, I, I went back to my roots, right? I was, I was going in blind, not knowing where anything was at, and uh, that was fun, man. I, I met some really cool people, uh, saw some new terrain, and uh, just just hunted, man. It was fun. <laughs> and you heard, had a, a interesting encounter with some Michigan Michiganders at the at the gas station on your way in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was uh, that's a funny story, and I will I will probably tell it at the beginning of every hunting season. From now on, I pulled into a gas station, and uh, there's a guy filling up. I'm filling up my truck. He's filling up his vehicle, and he looks. He looks over and he sees my license plate. He's from Iowa. He goes, "Iowa, huh? What are you doing here?" I said, "Oh, I'm here to bow hunt." And the expression on his face just straight changed. And he's, he he looks at me. He goes, "Are you fucking serious?" <laughs> <laughs> He was so confused why I would leave Iowa to come hunt Michigan. And uh, he just kind of like, what? Like, what are you talking about? He's deranged, man. So <laughs> I got a kick out of that. I, I mean, I think that that's probably the overwhelming sentiment, right? Well, that's right. That's what I said. When Adam was telling me about the before we went on air, I was like, uh, what? Why the hell would you leave <laughs> Iowa to come to Michigan? Absolutely. And so how has your hunting season been uh, going uh, so far outside of Michigan? Yeah, man. So before Michigan, I went to South Dakota. Um, I had a tag in my pocket. And then that out there, you can hunt, you can shoot a whitetail or a mule deer. And uh, a mule deer is really high on my uh, – really high on my list and so I you know I go out there bounce around for you know like five six days and uh try to get in close to you know a good respectable mule deer for the area and it just didn't pan out and I came to Michigan did my thing there and then uh you know kind of went on a hiatus for two weeks to get back to the the home front make everybody kind of happy and then um and then I started to hunt in late October here in Iowa and, you know, passed up some good deer and, you know, started doing my thing in, in Iowa and, you know, played that, played that game, chased the trail cameras for a while, put myself in the best positions on, on my farms and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, play that game, play that chess match. And it's kind of funny. We all think that hunting revolves around this huge strategy, right? It's just like, all right, the wind's doing this. I need to slip in here, go here, come up here, tree stands here, thermals are going to do this, wind's doing this, buck's going to come from this way, going to loop around, he's going to send check this bay. You know, like all, we think of all these things. And as I'm thinking about all these things and how I'm going to access the place that I want to go hunt this year, I see some pines pop up out of a, this little drainage area, and my wind's this buck and uh long story short i flipped my pack off in my tree stand put my release on drew back stepped out from behind this tree and shot this year's buck off of the ground walking to my tree stand so (laughs) sometimes it's luck too so (laughs) that being said you know from from the ground you know when you're out in in south dakota and that spot and stock, my brother just got back from there. Um, yeah. What is a respectable mule deer? I mean, my brother killed, I think two years ago, he killed the like one forties mule deer, which for us here in Michigan, you know, is a big deer, but for, 
and mule deer as far as body wise are huge so it was a it was a big deer but you know guys killed 200 inch deer you know regularly with uh, on mule deer hunts so yeah. I mean, how how does that I, even enter into the equation yeah it doesn't really i mean <laughs> i didn't know i don't know what i'm doing out there i'm a brand new hunter when it comes to the world of spot and stock all i knew what to do was get high and start glassing and i didn't have any problems seeing deer but moving in on them is where i started i'd go you know too slow or, or I'd go too fast, or the wind would shift, or I, I made noise, or, you know, one of a hundred different things on all these stocks. And um, I just kept rep- repeating what someone in my head kept saying was, you know, if you, one stalk a day on a deer, on a, on a mule deer buck is a good day. So I just kept, you know, I just kept putting that into, into my head as kind of a, a foundation of what I was trying to accomplish out there. And although I didn't get, you know, to, to launch an arrow, I did have almost one stock a day on average, you know, going into, you know, coming out of that hunt. And I walked away from that hunt learning something. And the cool thing about this whole thing is, is I'm going back to South Dakota in December to try it again. So we will, uh, the, the the book hasn't been closed on this year on South Dakota yet. Sweet. So it's not exactly like Michigan then. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I bet you uh, one. There was one morning where I sat on this really tall peak overlooking like this these private land bottoms. I bet you I could see two hundred deer from my from my point of view. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the, I, I keep telling my brother that I'm gonna have to go out there with them, and it, I mean they just have a ball, just whitetail adrenaline style, and you know whatever they run into, be it a mule deer that they want to shoot, or you know the there's a ton of good whitetail running around out there as well. Yeah. And so whatever they run into, you know they're flinging arrows and blowing stalks, and you know it's just yeah. a constant. So. It does yeah. sound like a real fun and like a learning experience as well, too. So, so uh, what what is your bow setup? So my bow setup right now um, this year, I was debating between two old primes that I had. One was a um, the Prime Logic, and one was the new CT3, uh, the newer CT3. It's like a 33 inch axle, and that's what I went with this year. Um, so I'm shooting my, my prime. I got a ripcord rest with an HHA, uh, kingpin sight. And, uh, let's see, I'm shooting day six arrows for fletch with a wasp jackhammer broadhead on the front. Cool. Okay. And then what are you using for like your, your mobile setups? You're a, a lone wolf guy, right? So. Right. Right. Yep, four sticks and a lone wolf will get me anywhere I need to go, man. Perfect, perfect. So um, other than the Michigan public land scavenger hunt from the Nine Finger Chronicles for, the, I think, the the, the winning prize is a, a Sitka hoodie, uh, what else do you have going on at the uh, uh, Nine Finger Chronicles and Sportsman's Nation? Where can everybody follow along with that stuff? Yeah, man, if you want to follow along, just go to – it's – Sportsmen's M E N S Sportsmen's Nation dot com. That's the website. That's where all of our our content comes out of. I mean, for those who don't know, the Sportsmen's Nation is a it's basically a collective, right? It's a collection of a variety of outdoor podcasts that are uh, you know bear hunting, fishing, turkey hunting. I mean, everything from strategy right to uh to land management we have all a whole bunch of different topics that come through the the network and then my podcast the nine finger chronicles is on there as well and that's just if you like listening to deer hunting that is what you're going to get with that right uh talk about deer hunting talk about my western you know all these people throughout the nation i talk to people from florida to maine to california and everywhere in between 
about, you know, hunting and all that good stuff. And social media, man, Nine Finger Chronicles or Sportsman's Nation, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the next time you uh, head up to Michigan, uh, look us up and we'll, uh, we can put you on some small deer, no problem. <laughs> hey man i'll take anything i can get all righty dan well i appreciate it yeah hey had a blast guys all right all thanks right.